0: w h u p l p Hillsboro. hello ladies and gentlemen you are back again with another amazing episode of spoken stories we've got an amazing feature today we've got gary phillips the carborough poet laureate after this amazing instrumental that you all know i'm already in love with we will get to our show let this ride out attention poets and those who enjoy poetry you are now in tune to the world's definition of arts listeners being our body as our features as are our hearts in honor of those who came before me i welcome you all to spoken stories brought to you by whuplp of hillsborough like i said before we have an amazing feature we've got gary phillips in the building today gary how's your day going sir hey
1: man it's going well it's nice to sit on this window hillsborough and i want to put a shout out to my good friend jen weaver who i had the opportunity to have dinner with last night at the north carolina awards and who is one of your councilwomen for hillsborough
0: awesome wow so you've been um council member lunch with a council member i like that a lot Mm -hmm. yes um i have gary phillips right here gary phillips is a 2016 through 18 poet laureate of carlboro north carolina he is a writer a naturalist and entrepreneur, he lives in a rammed earth house with his wife, <laughs> Alana Dubster. He's laughing because he wrote that. And I'm just reading it, but I love to read, so it doesn't matter. Gary avidly rereads poetry uh, and anthropolic science fiction, studies amphibian activities on full moon nights. That is That sounds like a poem. And was once chair of the Chatham County Board of Commissioners. His book of poetry and occasional pieces, The Boy, The Brave Girls, was printed in 2016. Tell me a little bit about this book.
1: Well, it's—I I like to say—as a way I, I cleaned out the attic of my head. It—it's uh, got poetry and pieces that I've written over the past 20 years, and I worked with a publisher out of New England, uh, Human Error Publishing, and um, it was a great adventure. I really feel good about it, and I've gotten a lot of attention for it. Just came off a reading tour in New England, and. Uh, it was a labor of love and uh, a good thing for me to do.
0: That's amazing, a poetry um, book reading in New England. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's great. So I'm assuming that you've gotten a lot of great responses um, from your book. Is this your first book that you've written? That's
1: right. I've, been, I've written chapters and been published in quite a few books, but this was the f- first book of my own work completely.
0: The process. Um, give me a little insight on the process. Was it difficult like diving into this considering that this was solely your body of work opposed to contributing to an anthology was it a little more strenuous or once you decided I'm going to write this book was it just gung-ho I'm about to do this
1: I think once I actually committed to it I was really gung-ho about it Uh, the hardest work was the editing and the choices but it was also the most rewarding part of the work I believe in editing and revising I really love it and it caused me to, to look again at a lot of things I've written over the years and to make better and more sense of them, to cut away the junk and to try to leave as much of a jewel like quality to the words as possible.
0: That makes sense. So, w- the, the book that you are holding, um, where can this book be found?
1: Uh, it's, at, uh, f- it's at Flyleaf Books in Chapel Hill, it's at uh, McIntyre's. McIntyre's has sold 40 or 50 of them, it's at the Joyful Jewel in Pittsburgh. And it can be ordered from Amazon or Human Error Publishing out of Wendell, Massachusetts.
0: That sounds great. Yes, I have a copy of that. Um, it's amazing for me reach out to reach out to you. As uh, listeners, you all know, I'm the Poet Laureate of Hillsboro. So um, mm-hmm. Gary and I had a show at the Orange County <clears throat> Library, and that's where he and I um, first had the opportunity to meet each other very very great um um show that we were able to perform at together and i purchased your book there i think we traded we traded, I books. We traded I ga- books i yeah. gave you mine and you gave and i gave That's you right. yeah and it was just amazing my wife and i uh, went home and read it that that night because um, we're both poetry heads so it was great yeah. to be in great company and your book is um i'm a fan of it as well
1: well i love i loved reading with you that night and this made me want to work with you ever since so it's great to be in the room with you
0: Oh, yeah. Busy. I think that when we were talking on the phone, we were both laughing about how busy that life can be. But my favorite (laughs) phrase is busy is better than bored. And when you're you're busy, that means that you're doing something right, Um, especially in the sense of busy with art. That means that we're really doing something right. Yes, I have a question. How do you balance... Um, just normal, regular life with being Poet Laureate of Carborough? Do you feel that it is a headache sometimes or your um, routine life intertwines with your poetry life?
1: Well, I love the the reading and the writing part of it. I'm not as keen on the organizing part. We just did a four-day poetry festival, and I had to do everything from prepare programs to put up, put up, posters to make signs to to organize poets which is sort of like organizing cats (laughs) uh but it was really gratifying it was good but uh, I don't sleep much and I'm committed to the work and it has a lot of pleasures to it too so oh I bet that
0: Carbro Poetry Festival didn't add to you not sleeping much because you wanted to make sure (laughs) that it was right
1: that's right that's right
0: how would the turnout? Did you get a good response? This was
1: great. We we counted between five and six hundred people who participated. We ran through between forty and fifty poets. We had one night that we featured thirty-two poets in a curated open mic, uh, participating with a jazz band. We had uh, we had a featured reader of Tyree Day, a Gullah man, a poet from Eastern North Carolina who's been published in both the New York Times and the. The New Yorker magazine in the past month, and was the American Poetry Review's uh, recipient of the Honeymoon Prize, and just an amazing poet. It was wonderful to work with him and have him there. Jackie Shelton Green, who was the Piedmont Poet Laureate for North Carolina, did a workshop and did a powerful reading. It was just it was a lot of beautiful events. We had a good time.
0: That sounds that sounds really really good. Was this the first year that Carborough has um, hosted something like this?
1: No, this is our, our this is our eleventh or twelfth year. But this, this year we expanded it from two days to four days. And we had two venues and downtown bars, which made all the difference in the world. There was a lot of hospitality there, of course, because that's what bars are good at. And, uh, and we had a good, a good feeling, a good sound system, and everybody had a great time on Wednesday and Thursday night. And then f- Friday night we went to Flyleaf Books and presented five readers who had all published books within the past year. And then Saturday we worked from 12 noon to 8 at night with readings, workshops and uh, poetry panels.
0: That sounds great. So what was the idea of expanding something that had been going on for so long? As you mentioned, this was the 11th year. So for you to change it and make it four days opposed to two days, what, what was the initial thoughts on that?
1: I told the t- town of Carborough right away when I agreed to accept being Poet Laureate that I wanted to be a bridge between the spoken word community and the page poet community. Awesome. And that I wanted to create a, a venue for a diversity of voices in which anybody could could come to the feast. So I reached and sought out and engaged in conversations all across the state and out of state for poets to come and present themselves. And as I, as I said, in years past, we've featured between 15 and 20 poets, and this year we featured between 40 and 50, and it was an extraordinary experience.
0: Yeah, that's that's love right there. That is amazing. Yeah. I, I love how you said that, to bridge the gap, the gap between paper poetry and spoken word poetry, because yes, it is the same, but it is different. I know a lot of spoken word poets as I read their poems on paper, it doesn't give me the exact same feeling as I would get from hearing Mm -hmm. them perform that poem. And the same thing from paper poems. If I were to read a particular poem and then hear that particular not spoken word artist read that poem, it doesn't necessarily give the same feel. So um, to bridge that gap, that is a huge feat. And I I really appreciate you accomplishing that because I am a spoken word artist Mm -hmm. who is transitioning to become a more paper poet.
1: And I'm a, basically a page poet that comes from a oral culture, and I'm wanting to take my poetry off the page and, and put it out without having to read it. So That sounds it's great. A very exciting process.
0: Again, we've got Gary Phillips, 2016 through 18, Poet Laureate of Carbro. We're putting our Poet Laureate powers together here, and we've got a Poet Laureate yeah. bomb. Uh, if you've seen this work that we've got going <clears throat> on in here, the energy in this building is amazing. Um, would you mind sharing some work for us?
1: Sure, I'd love to. I just talked about coming from an oral culture. I'm from Appalachia. And you'll see kind of the narrative element of this. This poem is called The Cool of the Day. I haven't written about this before because I had a gaius against it. But I have a distant cousin who was perhaps the most famous mountain dulcimer player in the world. When I was a young man, the irascible Appalachian poet Don West separated me from my companions. What are you doing with them Yankees, son? Your own people are calling out to you in need. And took me to her porch in Jeff, Kentucky, three or four hours away from where we were camping. He left me there and drove away, never came back. That's the way Don is, she said. Do you want me to fix you a pallet on the floor? But I said no and started hitchhiking down the mountain around dusk, a two-day adventure that had me sleeping in the woods and walking for 20 miles. She was a handsome woman somewhere in her 50s, real thin and quiet, her long reddish hair and a tail down her back. She had a husband, but he left us to ourselves in the long light that afternoon gives. At one point, she started singing. And I tried to help her out on Amazing Grace. She said, you could have a good voice if and you ever used it. That's what I remember. Women say it to me today. Here's the funny part. Almost 30 years later, she came to me in a dream and helped me edit one of her mountain hymns into a pagan ballad, a goddess tune. In my dream, we worked on this for a long time together. And in the morning, I had it all. But she made me promise not to tell her preacher or anybody else. For the next 15 years, whenever I sang that song in public, I lost her name somewhere. Couldn't remember it. But she died a couple of years ago. And I seemed to have been released. This morning I felt it. And I wrote this down for you. The lady she said unto me, Do you like my garden so fair You can live in my garden If you keep the waters clean And I'll return in the cool of the day Now is the cool of the day Now is the cool of the day This world is a garden And a garden for us all let us walk in the garden, in the cool of the day. Let us walk in the garden, in the cool of the day.
0: Wow. <laughs> wow. I can't do anything but smile. I love your voice. I love the raspy in it. I love the genuine the imagery in that. I promise you I was over here closing my eyes as I was sitting here. I finished with my notes. And just the imagery of the pallet on the floor, the what are you doing with those Yankees? My uh, line that really stuck with me is you could have a good voice if you ever used it. Like that was like hints of genius right there. I love um, I've said this a thousand times. I'm sorry, listeners, if if you are tired of me saying this line, but I feel like us as poets that years and years and hundreds of years and thousands of years ago that there were storytellers and people that were Snapping able my fingers over that were people that could make <coughs> you feel the day and uh, like really embrace that feeling and i feel like as poets in 2017 that that's what we are today we are mm-hmm. poets and Amen. that line you Amen. could have a good voice if you ever used it like you could say that to a young person or an old <laughs> person and right. they would really reflect on that like wow what could i do if i said right yeah thank you for that poem Thank you. Uh, thank you that so much. Good fun, fun to read. Again, we've got Gary Phillips here, the Carborough poet laureate, just coming off the Carborough Poetry Festival. Um, he has a book out, *The Boy, um, the Brave Girls*, which is available at Flyleaf Books. It's available on Amazon.com as well as through his publish as well as through his publisher. Do you mind dropping that website again?
1: Um, let's see, com, I believe. But yep. If you look up Human Area Publishing, you will find it.
0: Awesome, and I promise you, if you purchase the book, listeners, and you do not like it, I will give you your money back and <laughs> enjoy the book myself. We got a trade, though. It'll just have more of Gary Phillips' books that I would enjoy. My kids like poetry, so they'll get some use out of it. <laughs> I have a question for you. Again, we're going to start with some more questions. Mm. When did you first start sharing your poems? And do you remember the first time that you shared a poem?
1: Yes, Um, when I was in high school uh, I wrote quite a lot of poetry and we had a local magazine and in the local magazine and the newspaper occasionally I published absolutely terrible poetry for the most part. But I started a journal when I was 17 years old and I have kept writing journals ever since. I have all all of them all the way back to the 1971.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. All all you have journals all the way back from 1971, and you have your first book in your hand that you've published. (laughs) So (laughs) I am by me saying that um, I'm looking at that in the sense of respecting what you put out. Because if you have work that dates back to that long, that means that you respect poetry to, to the severity where you know if I put something out, it needs to be what the world needs opposed to mm-hmm. I have a collection of work, Amen. let me get it together.
1: Right. Amen. And that's true. That's true. And I believe, I, be, I believe that I have a social obligation as a poet at this point in history to, to put out what the world needs to help, to help bring the world together. To create a culture of strength and possibility.
0: I one thousand percent agree with that. I used to do a lot of adult shows, a lot of like um, more risque type performances, and the shows mm-hmm. were amazing. I still go, um, enjoy yeah. the shows, but I don't perform in things like that anymore because my mind is focused on that connection. And yes, the more risque art type of poetry, yes, it's fun and entertaining, but I don't. I'm not. I was really torn in the sense of what am what am I doing what am mm. i how am i helping and so my pen changed in the sense of really widening my margin to more diverse and um thought-provoking poems opposed to trying right. to entertain someone so i definitely will agree with you tenfold in the sense of we are doing this in the sense to help somebody else yes
1: amen amen
0: oh yes what advice would you give um to our beginning writers for who are picking their brain apart in the sense of a poem not being good for you to have a collection of poems since you were 17, um, what would you give someone that advice where not necessarily boggling their mind or whatnot? What advice would you give to beginning writers?
1: Well, I believe in the loneliness of the room. You got to get... If, you're, if you call yourself a writer, you have to write. So sit down. Make yourself quiet. Take a time for yourself and Write. And right and right don't be afraid to tear it up and put it back together again don't be afraid to mess with it don't be afraid to, to do what Faulkner called killing your darlings and, and 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 removing your ego out of the pieces that you write and letting them be clearer and clearer and clearer don't be afraid to engage in your times don't be afraid to engage in your own pain in your own emotions in your own experience because I believe poetry is bravery
0: oh yes Poetry is bravery. I love that. Poetry definitely is bravery. And it, uh, I look at it as a feeling, a smile. <laughs> and the thing about feelings is that feelings evade and feelings can be related to. If I'm happy, I'm pretty sure I can run into somebody who is as happy or wants to be happy. And that poetry is that as well. While you sharing something, you are going to share that with somebody who can relate to it, share that with somebody who wants to relate to it, or you're going to open a new door for someone.
1: Let me tell you a little story. Uh, One of my favorite poets right now is 12 years old. (laughs) She's a Latina, a girl in Siler City, and she told me one day when we were talking about poetry, she said, the reason I write poetry is I want the world to understand what it feels like to be the only legal person in my family. Oh, my gosh.
0: I bet that your like heart kind of just like exploded when she said that. And yeah. she probably said that so serious, too. Yes, she wasn't she did. She wasn't no. trying to impress you.
1: No, absolutely not. Absolutely not.
0: And those are the type of things that I'm saying. Like, years ago, when we were telling stories around fires dancing, we wanted to make people comfortable. That 12-year-old girl, 11-year-old girl, excuse mm-hmm. me, she gets it. She gets right. it that I can put this on paper. Because there is somebody in my classroom who may have this feeling. There may be an adult who may have this feeling, so I need to get this out. Right. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. We have a musical guest. As you listeners always know, we feature an amazing poet, and we feature amazing music. And the musical guest here um, was requested by Mr. Gary himself, and I'm going to let him uh, introduce this um, musical um, guest that I'm going to play and just talk a little bit about his relationship that he has with this particular band.
1: This band is called Kairaba, and they're a West African band that includes a bunch of boys from my county of Chatham County. Uh, Jelly Sissoko uh, is from West Africa and plays the Kora, which is an amazing multi-stringed instrument that's played off of a gourd. And Will Rideout, his good friend and collaborator, also plays the chora. They have two sets of drums, two lead guitars, two choras. They are outrageous. They play happy music. One of the boys in the band is Austin McCall who kind of grew up in my house and is my my youngest son Jesse's, uh, one of his best friends. And this and John Westmoreland is a soulful man who goes into hospitals and, and plays guitar in front of people who are dying to give them comfort. Uh, this band is a community band uh, who sings happy music and who, who really seek to bring people together. And I just love them. To, to be in their midst, to, to, to stand in front of them while they're playing music, is to see both genius and storytelling and community combined in one event. And so, yeah, so I, I follow them around, have a great time with them whenever I can.
0: I bet that's amazing for you to be a fan of this band when you've probably given this young man both bowl of cereal before.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's like to see that growth in somebody <laughs> as when he was young, mm-hmm. um, and I will play the music listeners, but that, that was amazing for me to hear that you actually seen this young man grow up. So when oh, he yeah. was younger, did you know that he was as musically inclined as he is?
1: Well, his father was a great drummer and a musician, and he started playing drums when he was five years old. So um, I've known him ever since then, and I'd, I'd say he's one of the best drummers in our entire region. He's he's inspired, and he's an extraordinary collaborator. He he prepared the drum pieces for the uh, Paper Hand Puppet Theater and played with the Paper Hand Puppet Theater for years, played with his dad's band, Too Much Fun. Uh plays with several different bands now. Anybody he can get a chance to play with. But this band is where his heart is at, Caraba.
0: That sounds great. I'm going to get right into the music. This music can be found on their website, Caraba Music. That is K-A-I-R-A-B-A music.com. And this song is off their album, The Great Peace, and it is called Mbola. M-B-O-L-O, and they've got in parentheses, parentheses, Unity. So listeners... Your walk, you are in for a treat.
2: to peace this song is about to fight look at today the politicians they always make us to fight each other why we need to listen to politicians we don't need that
0: That was just pure amazingness. Again, that is Music, K-A-I-R-A-B-A music.com. If you are listening to this show and you do not go right to your computer and find out what you just listened to, you might as well just give your (laughs) laptop to somebody else because that is what you are supposed to be listening to when you're cleaning up the house, when you're riding in your Mm -hmm. car, when you wake up in the morning. That's the type of music that you're supposed to listen to because it makes your soul feel good. Amen. It is called Caraba Music, K A I R A B A music.com. Thank you so much for introducing me to that music. That was great.
1: You like the guys too, they're very enjoyable.
0: Again, we've got Gary Phillips here with the amazing awesome uncle voice. I'm going to call that the (laughs) uncle voice. That's that wisdom. That's when you walk in the house after going to college and you come to your grandmother's house and you see your uncle on the couch drinking a beverage and you're like, Uncle, what are you going to teach me today? And then you hear Gary's voice. (laughs) I love being in the company of wisdom. And every time that I have heard you recite poems today and even at the show, um, I've seen some of your work online, I feel like I'm getting smarter, and (laughs) I am a fan of growth, so I really appreciate you being a part of the show. Um, We are listening to Spoken Stories, uh, WHUP, LP of Hillsboro, North Carolina. Um, Again, I appreciate you being a guest on here.
1: And I love your energy and your attention, and I like collaborating with you, and I really look forward to doing some more good stuff
0: together. Oh yeah, it's not done. It is, it is not done. I'm almost finished with my fourth poetry book. Um, I will finish that this evening. I am dedicating my Friday to poetry. I was just um, at mm, home like that. editing and finishing my book cover so I told myself I will finish this book today and my family and my kids and my wife I told them and they're like, I don't even think my kids have said anything to me all day today because I told them, <laughs> hey, I'm finishing my book today and they're like walking around me like, don't bother dad. I have a question for you Sure. why did you start sharing your poems opposed to keeping it um, personal and just like this is just for me I don't want to necessarily put it out there into the world like what was that first thing that made you know like I I need to give this to
1: somebody well I'm a voracious reader and I was beginning when I was maybe 11 years old Uh, you know reading till 4 o'clock in the morning I put a book under my textbook in elementary school, middle school, high school. So that's what I really did was read what that book was underneath the book that I was given. (laughs) So uh, I saw what people were putting out in the world and what moved me and what didn't. And I had a perception coming from the sort of, I guess what you'd call, multiracial poor white trash environment that I grew up in that there needed to be a greater diversity of voices than the idea of great men writing. And so I felt like I had something to say even when I was young, and I began to experiment with how to say it in ways that, that, could, that could reach the culture. And, uh, and I just felt a need, like you do. I can feel that in you, to have your voice out there and to affect what happens and to communicate with other people.
0: Oh, yes, 1,000% definitely is a communication aspect, and I love how you said it, um, giving a little bit of history on your background. I am pretty sure that considering what you just told us about your background um, and your demographic, that with you being an author, you are probably looked at as this amazing literary genius in your homestead of community, and you're like, I just enjoy my passion. (laughs) Am I mistaken by saying that?
1: Well, it's you know, it's interesting because my family, I love my family. They were so good to me all my life. It was an interesting thing to have an intellectual dropped into a family that, in which nobody had ever gone to college, nobody had ever had a white-collar job. Uh, but they accepted me, cared for me, still care for me. My mother lives near me now, and she and I have a very close relationship. Uh, but my community had a hard time with me. I was too brash and I was interested in things they weren't interested in there was an anti-intellectualization in the in the poor south that I I fully identify with people of color so many young people I have met and talked to deeply have told me that they're that you know if they're interested in writing if they're interested in their studies if they're interested in books they have to take a social hit out of that, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. You
1: know what I'm talking
0: about. Oh, 1,000%. And
1: and I lived through that. My community rejected me. I've had, you know, Ku Klux Klan throw me in the back of a pickup truck and drive me around the county to tell me what my responsibilities were. So um, writing was also an act of resistance for me, always has been and still is.
0: I love that. I can relate to that tenfold because, unfortunately, when you grow up, in the place and the environment that you and I grew up in um, being smart or wanting to be smart and reading and writing and art that is not what it is is important so when you put your focus on that you are an outcast and this and it's so unfortunate because it's tragedy yeah it is it's a it cuz inside of myself I went through an inner turmoil of should I just conform and let go of this passion that I have mm-hmm. opposed to really taking it full force and enjoying it. And now I feel like there's like a like a race. You are behind, behind, behind. And then once you get past that barrier of the judgment, mm-hmm. then you are appreciated. Right. It's like, oh my Absolutely. God, you, Absolutely I, I judged you so much. And look at look what you did, even right. though I judged you. Yeah. Absolutely true. On that on that topic. I mentioned before I typically do not share poems, but you said, "Hey, why not? Why not? Why not not popcorn?" And on that topic, I will share um, a poem that I do not know verbatim yet. Um, This is something I am working on to add this to my archive in the sense of performing on stage. Um, But this is a poem that I titled "Bitter." I'm bitter. Been broken down, head low, like the self esteem of unfulfilled dreams. This missing on a Mm. foresight for supposed to. While my person repeats to itself, You are a winner. I'm bitter for always needing to win. Angry that there's even a game to play for the win. Sometimes the game being played, being amount of cash you get, title you represent, a number of relationships, maybe even a game of shirts and skins, colors and flags, nil and who's standing, nationality, gender or religion, or job or street or gang, education or finances. So Mm -hmm. many oars. I'm bitter because of these oars. Uh, Needed self convictions these restrictions on our minds as if thoughts are boxed chained and locked to what we are taught imagination evaded for needed education of hatred comparison and not being better than I am bitter broken and beaten most days i feel defeated as my legs move in motion of routine life's treadmill under my feet awake work sleep awake work sleep repeat 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 i'm bitter because i'm starting to notice it as i'm trying to focus on to commit my eyes targeted again i'm focused like prey onto predator food being opportunity as the chase mirrors my accuracy while disadvantage makes me miss but i don't quit those things they see me as as another stereotype good but just not quite one out of every number potential prison number fallen number another trying to be more than just a number which makes me a number just bitter but i'm just glad that i'm starting to notice it thank you
1: all right all right yes
0: i guess so well done thank you so much thank you so much for you to appreciate that makes that poem great and i can put the star on that um i really get so lost in this world of white black blue collar white Mm -hmm. collar mcdonald's worker doctor i get i get extremely lost in that and i um it's an enjoyable loss because I'm glad that I have not accepted. Um, I've, right. I've, I'm not going to accept that that is a fight that we are, have to fight, opposed to really just acknowledging the fact that, man, we all believe the same and we all need to love each other. And once we stop the difference shaming, then the world's going to mm-hmm. go so much better.
1: But added to that, too, we also have to listen to each other. Oh, yes. We have to listen to each other's experience. And I think that's one of the values of poetry, because you get to come from your point of experience. You may be able to penetrate somebody's prejudices, somebody's somebody's thought process that's smaller than yours by being articulate enough to move them.
0: That's a very good point. It's not just about speaking and doing it's definitely about taking a backseat and listening. I really um, that, that is the truth. That is definitely the truth. We've got Gary Phillips here with myself, William Davis, Poet Laureate of Hillsborough. Gary Phillips, the Poet Laureate of Carborough, North Carolina. We're practically neighbors. Carborough Mm -hmm. is right next to Hillsborough. Hillsborough is right next to Carborough. And what we are doing in our community is really Mm -hmm. trying to shine a light on the amazingness of poetry and how it can heal. Amen. It can definitely heal you. All right. I've got some more questions for you. I call myself Endless Will. Um, I don't mm-hmm. call myself that to my kids. They call me dad, of course, and my <laughs> friends call me William Davis. But in the poetry community, everybody calls me Endless Will. Do you have a surname?
1: I don't really, you know. No. Um,
0: Growing up, did you have a nickname?
1: I have a nickname of Garfield because I didn't like my name Gary and my best buddy said, well, you, you know, let's start calling you Garfield. And it's <laughs> uh, st- still in my email and lots of other things. There's a few people who know me as that. But, but not so much, not so much.
0: It just made me think of like the cartoon Garfield, yeah, absolutely. And like, I'm so serious. Like, so when you said that, it made me think <laughs> of poetry being your Odie. Like, yeah, you're going right. to make sure that you just <laughs> really? like kick it and just make sure you just beat it up <laughs> and just like let me make uh, sure I put you in your place, poetry. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that is usually
1: great. what happens is it puts me in my place. <laughs>
0: i love that though that's i guess that is a sense of reflecting on your poems Um, quite often i'll I'll open my poetry book and i'm like you know what i needed that poem today
1: right yeah absolutely
0: awesome um you mentioned that you have a son that is uh friends with the band that we Mm -hmm. just listened to um does your um, son or your children how many children do you have
1: i have three boys
0: three boys are they writers as well
1: no um i have a my oldest son is a dancer, a very well-known dancer, Adam Phillips, who's performing at Doyle's Vineyard this weekend in a show called Purgatoire. He's the he, he and his dancing partner are, are the central dancers for a big circ community event, uh, going through the seven deadly sins as a way of as a way of 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 examining body and and response. Um, my middle son is. Uh, is a financial advisor in Washington DC my youngest son's in, is a people's engineer trying to protect water systems across the south and I'm uh, very proud of all three of them That's great, great. That's my boys
0: Yeah that is great that is, that is that is amazing I love your son's a dancer and you have said, said again you have a dancer you have a Washington DC and you yeah, said his Yeah he's pers- like a financial advisor Financial advisor
1: who married his husband this summer, and they, they have a kind of extraordinary life together. That's, that's, that's beautiful. I spent a lot of time with them. And then my youngest son, Jesse's in Durham with his wife and his baby, who's turned a year old in about a month. And uh, she is the forester at Duke University, so she manages seven thousand acres. She's a, t- a redheaded woman from Cincinnati with a mm-hmm. cha- with a chainsaw tattoo to her upper thigh who manages seven thousand acres of Duke University land. <laughs> One of my heroes, Jenna Schreiber.
0: That is great. That I love that. <laughs> I, love that. I love that. I love that. So, so you mentioned that your um, son had a child, so that will make mm-hmm. you a grandfather. I am a grandfather you know your grandson is going to think that you are a superhero he's going to acknowledge the fact i'm not going to say think let me change that your grandson is going to acknowledge the fact that you are a superhero and i say that because you are a poet so one day your grandson is going to come to you he's going to be upset about the day of school or something and you are going to give him words without having to open up a book or anything and he's just going to be like oh my gosh my grandfather is so wise (laughs) like
1: (laughs) Well, you've you've read my poetry, and so you know that how important my grandmothers were to my own life. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the reasons that I think of myself as a womanist poet was the wisdom I received from those people two generations above me uh, who had so much to contribute in my eyes and yet not so much to contribute in the world's eyes.
0: Oh, yes. I feel bad for... um people my age, I'm 30 years old, and I have kids. My oldest son is 11, mm-hmm. and I feel bad in a sense that my son w- does not have that type of w- wisdom in a grandmother. My, my, my mother, she's a, she's a good person. She's mm-hmm. had, um, went through her struggles in life, um, but she's not my grandmother in the sense of the old age mm-hmm. wisdom that she got from her mother. And I, I just feel like my generation's parents are not their parents. And they made a conscious... You you get what I'm saying by that? Absolutely. Like, like they made a conscious effort not to be their parents, and that's almost what they needed to be Right. because so many people my age lived with their
1: grandparents. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Mead says that we are developing a generation of olders instead of elders. Yep. And that one of our jobs, because I'm I'm growing into into that age, in my 60s, is to accept more responsibility for the world, not less, more responsibility for the people around us, not less, and to engage in a way that creates culture, sustains culture, upholds culture, and creates a sanctuary.
0: Oh, yes. Let's get back to our musical guest. I want to play another song by this amazing band. Um, let's see, I'm going to scroll. And they
1: have a deep sense of this. Yeah, yes, I can tell. Family, community.
0: Without family, we are lost without family where I lost, I grew up um, in a horrible, broken, broken down of a childhood. My father um, still struggles with, with his inadequacies to this day, probably walking along the streets in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And my mother I was in prison most of my life growing up. So my sense, my sense of family that I have up the street that I are at home with my wife right now, like I hold on to that so tight mm-hmm. because I know what it's like to not be without. So as you mentioned the olders and not elders, I can't wait until I'm an elder because I know what the elders did for me. And as I mentioned, mm-hmm. like my son not necessarily having that essential elder of a grandmother, like I, it's just a true fact. Like I know a lot of people, my kids age who do not have that superhero of an elder to look up to
1: we all deserve that
0: we all deserve that yes i'm going to play a song called bonnie off of their second album that's called uh resonance and it again this is mm. Karaba music k-a-i-r-a-b-a Music.com. and um go ahead let's listen to some great great music We got more awesomeness there oh no let me stop this sorry about that everybody we've got more awesomeness there with caraba music k-a-r-a-b-a music.com the song that we just got done listening to was called bonnie b-a-n-i i am a little um envious that you like know this band like i know them now but you actually know these guys do they know that you're such a big fan of them
1: oh absolutely Absolutely no. There's I get hugs when I'm running to this band on the street. So,
0: <laughs> are you like a fanboy almost? Like I know them. That's my. They're my band. Or you just just let just let it go in stride.
1: Let it go in stride. Yeah.
0: That, that, that's that's great.
1: They, you know they know I'm a supporter of theirs and they and I have relationships with several of them and uh, they're really good relationships. John Westmoreland's one of the greatest guitarists in our entire region, and he and I collaborate. I'm in, I, I have a couple of gigs at Shakori Hills. I, I, uh, I'm in charge of the Sunday morning service at Shakori Hills, and sometimes John will come and play music to back us up. And So, yeah. that's. Do it's, you
0: have musical influence as well, opposed to just being a writer? Do you know how to play any instruments?
1: No, not a thing. I sing badly, but I love music. I attend I I, I music all the time. I go I go to musical events, and uh, a lot of my friends are musicians.
0: That is great. Can we get another poem again, listeners? We've sure. got Gary Phillips. I'm going to say his name a thousand <clears throat> and gazillion times because you all need to know who we have in the studio because he's important. He is an awesome poet, poet laureate of Hillsborough, North Carolina. Um, do you mind opening your book, give us a little bit about this book let us know the title again, where it can be found um, and the poem that you're going to read and the relationship sure. that you have with that poem go ahead, give us some words with that
1: this, the book is called The Boy, The Brave Girls and it was published out of a small publishing company in western Massachusetts called Human Error Publishing uh, last year and uh, you know, we're working on selling the first thousand copies and hopefully go along um, it was a fun experience, it has a couple of short stories, um, a few essays, and most of the rest is poetry. And uh, uh, but it's in poetry in many different forms. So the next poem I'd like to read is a bit different, um, but I think you'll see some of the same themes represented. It's called "The Best Party Ever." Fifty years ago, Truman Capote gave the best party ever. The black and white ball was credited, I say, with breaking the old order. He invited everybody and everybody came. Moguls and novelists, divas and divines, the inspiring and the almost-expired. Urbans and provincials in the same clutch, Capote married art and politics and money, or at least forced them to seduce each other in one large room decorated with nothing but candles and balloons. He served spaghetti and chicken hash at midnight, published his invitation list in the New York Times. Can you imagine it? Attending his loving swan's dancing with Lauren, but call his red lips almost even with her famous breasts. Of course, there were not many people of color fetid, just Gordon Parks and Harry Belafonte and the Ellisons, Ralph and Fanny, who called themselves the black of the black and white ball. I'm sure a few were passing, too. Art has always participated in masquerade and knows the rules better than anybody. So what old order did they break? Capote, the outsider, the iconoclastic comic but somehow malevolent figure of surprise who could manufacture charm but had no loyalties. Do you know he inculcated a grand vision of the outside world in his granny's closeted kitchen? That he started planning this party before he entered puberty? Always a little darling manipulator with sharp doll's teeth. Fifty years ago it was. Did I say that? How old were you? Approximately zero? I was twelve. Dreaming of your dark eyes. Your firm refusal. Your specific kiss. Mm
0: -hmm. Again, the imagery You are a very, very, very good storyteller I love the line Married, art, politics, and money And then the other line where you said Art has always participated in masquerade Amen That's another one of those lines of wisdom right there The art It reminded me of like um, An abstract um, painting Or an abstract poem Where you can just kind of get what you want out of it and that seems like art has always participated in Masquerade. It just reminded me of looking at a painting with people when we all kind of see something different. Um, mm. And I love the manufacturing harm, but no loyalty. And that's another. I, I really, really appreciate your pen. Um, if you drop it, I might borrow it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love yours. Thank you. We've, we've got Gary Phillips here, Carborough port lawyer here, sharing his art introducing me to amazing music and just the energy that he is putting in this <coughs> WHUP studio is going to be a gift for the next person that I walk in here. They're going to be like, oh my gosh, like what happened in here today? Because I just walked in here and I felt happy. I hope, I hope somebody <laughs> walks in here after we leave and they had mm-hmm. a bad day because they're going to walk in here and they're going to feel the goodness that we put in here
1: today. We should say this is a beautiful room with a window out onto the street of King Street in Hillsborough. Oh absolutely yes. absolutely lovely.
0: Oh yeah, it was so funny when the um, poet laureate of Grand Rapids, Michigan, came. And Grand Rapids, Michigan is a, it's a big city. Um, it's not country by any means. Um, and it was so funny when he came and sat down. Like the mayor of Hillsboro was right across the street. Um, he and I know each other, so he like waved and said, "Hey, how's it going, Mr. Davis?" And I uh, waved to him. And as we were walking up the steps, I was like, "Who is that nice guy that took, said something to you?" And I was like, "Oh, that was the mayor." And they just started laughing. Like, of course, in a town like Hillsboro, the mayor's just going to say hi to you. And then it was like a banjo band right down um, stairs playing as well <laughs> by the library, and they could hear the band. And like, they was like, as much That's as I great. love living in the city, if I lived in a town, I would want to live in the town of mm-hmm. Hillsboro, considering how welcoming mm-hmm. it is. Excellent. We are coming to a close here on WHUP Spoken Stories. Um, out of Hillsboro, Went brought, so to, fast. brought to you by, yeah, our goal by fast when you're having fun. I've been on horrible dates before I got married <laughs> that an hour felt like 24 <laughs> hours. So I promise you, I feel like we've only been sitting here for 15 minutes. I've got one last question. It's almost my token question that I ask everybody. Mm-hmm. What's next?
1: Oh, I'm writing. I'm learning how to read out loud to crowds. That's really a lot of fun. And I'm encouraged poets encouraging poets young and old. And that's a good that's a good piece of work. I love it. Um, part of what part of the poetry I write is ceremonial poetry. It's literally meant to be read in front of people who are doing something. So for instance, I write a poem at every turning of the wheel, which are the of the natural world, which are the solstices and the equinoxes, where I try to write down what's happening in nature on that day. And we put it into a ceremonial kind of aspect of praise, praise for the natural world. So um, I'm like Donald Revell. He's got a great poem. He talks about writing poetry. And sometimes he's feeling like he's trying to cram the whole world into a suitcase. And sometimes he's just writing down what he hears because there's so much. Love out there. There's so much attention out there. He just needs to listen to it, and I feel that way. Sometimes I'm sometimes I'm pushing a stone uphill, and sometimes all I'm doing is just taking notes. <laughs>
0: that sounds great. Let go ahead. and Let the people know about this book again and where they can find it.
1: The book is "The Boy, the Brave Girls," and if you read the title story, you'll kind of see what that comes from. <clears throat> My name is Gary Phillips, and that's available from Human Error publishing out of wendell massachusetts it's also available in local bookstores amazon and just call me up on the phone i'll be happy to deliver you a copy
0: thank you so much for being my guest and um i look i look forward to sharing the stage with you again it's Um, it's always a pleasure um and listeners you know what we're about we're about poetry and we're about good music um if you like us go ahead and like us like us enough for you to introduce it to someone else who you know needs to have a relationship with poetry or even has a relationship with poetry you know that they will enjoy the show Uh, my name is William Endless Will Davis and I'm out thank you